Hello and welcome to Pipesicle, where we hopefully talk about functional programming. So, what are we gonna talk about today? Today is an episode inspired by Valentine's Day. Yes. So we decided to create a small program that is going to generate an ASCII art. And do you want to explain it, Tristan? Okay. Yep. So the program, yeah, it will. It, it asks for two names: the mm-hmm. first name and the second name. And then it says it, it 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 does in ASCII art either using the ASCII hash character or some Unicode characters like the Unicode heart and the Unicode block drawing characters. It says the name of the first person and then a giant heart and then the name of the second person. And puts it all in a nice little box. Or it can be anyone. It can be anyone. You can do it as a name. I love someone. Or if you know you want to make a simple greeting card to your mom, or can be anything too. If you love your pets, perhaps you decide. Yep, you can make it whatever you like. Yes, as long as it's something loves something else. And. We're gonna talk a little bit how we uh, build it. Yep. So the first time I suggested this little project to Tristan, when I first described it, oh Tristan, it's a Valentine's Day soon, and how about we're making greeting card or some kind of uh yeah something that people can play with, and then I saw this. Pictures and stuff like you can create with characters on your terminal and stuff like that, you know. So when I talked about it to Tristan, I was just thinking to hard code the letter A to Z and then the representation of that in ASCII arts, or you can say I don't know what is ASCII actually. ASCII, I think it stands for the American Standard for Computer Information Interchange. I think, and it's just it's just the name of a text encoding. It's okay. technically ASCII is the first 127 characters, um, not not the first. So it's like it's a seven, seven bit encoding, not an eight bit. Does encoding. that mean the letter A to Z is also ASCII? Uh, uh, they're they're all part of ASCII. Yep. Oh, I know. What makes me confused? Though, I was thinking just to save them, right? So it can be anything. It can be a combination of numbers and letters, or like uh, to make it round, you have a round bracket and a combination of like dots and round brackets and stuff like that but then Tristan made it more interesting well I did, made it probably made it uglier but more interesting the, the, the code is nicer and the um, and the output is simpler yes we're trying to have more technical problems <laughs> <laughs> Is is this what programmers actually do create more problems different problems <laughs> We tra- transform some problems into other problems. Yes. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, how about you explain more of your ideas? Tristan? Yeah. So, I mean, instead of having the code, the the fonts hard coded, I I decided we would, you know, just create this arbitrary um, font format, which is a bit weird as a format, but it was, you know, nice and easy to produce and slightly interesting. So, we're taking the 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 font as being only like you either have a character in that spot or you don't so it's not going to have any fancy curves using brackets or anything. so it's either on or it's off and then we say well the font can be eight lines tall um and a variable variable width so i can be nice and short and an m can be long 
but they're all going to be eight lines tall um and so eight if it's on or off you can store that in a byte you can store it in a byte but we instead stored it as a number between 0 and 255 in a plain text file um, and so the font format consists of of the character that you're coding and then a list of 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 numbers um, and each number when it's converted into binary it represents vertically um, which pixels are turned on and which ones are off or which ascii things should be on and which ones are off and then there's um, as many of them as you like until a blank line and then it starts again for the next character yeah so on and off that just means a blank line or a showing a character basically yeah so we have two modes we have the the plain ascii mode when it's a hash which is the only mode that actually work on some programs like REPL that don't support REPL.it, which don't Yeah, so because we want to share or publish the code where people can play directly to it, we decided to use REPL.it, but we, maybe there is a better tool for this. And unfortunately, the console or terminal of REPL.it cannot show Unicode. But we also will publish it on Tristan's GitHub and you can... You can download it and run it on your, on your console, which probably does support Unicode because most of them do nowadays. But then you have to have Haskell. If you have Haskell installed, yes. Yes. That, that's also the problem. <laughs> anyway, so this, we were actually doing this from scratch to teach me Haskell and it did a terrific job to teach me Haskell because Tristan found a way to make a syntax a little bit more like Elm. Yes, so there's a package called Flow. Yes, and not to be mistaken with the Flow for JavaScript which is created by Facebook, but this flow is a package for Haskell. Yeah, and it just basically creates, um, it, it uses uh, nicer symbols instead of uh, instead of the ones that are traditional Haskell. So um, you can have a left pipe and a right pipe. You can, in, 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 in Elm and Elixir, the left pipe would be a less than greater than in a pipe. But in, in Haskell, it's a dollar sign. Why is it a dollar sign? What does that even mean? And a right pipe is an and sign. Um, for function composition in Haskell, it's a dot, which represents the mathematical ring that gets used for that. And for uh, forward function composition, I guess, I think that there's if you if you use the right mode, you've got three three like greater than symbols, and it's a little bit you know of a motley crew of different symbols. So flow basically uses the same for 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 left piping and right piping it uses the same symbols as uh elm or elixir or f sharp or f sharp or f sharp yes um but for the function composition it uses um a left a less than or a greater than combined with a dot because less than less than and, and greater than greater than are already used by um other parts of haskell so we'll discuss them later but but it, it basically creates, it makes this, this piping a little bit easier to read. Yes, so I think we're going to discuss a little bit how I feel to develop in Haskell. <laughs> yes, so I think one of the most distinct is how many different pipes does Haskell have. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't just have the regular uh, functional pipe, mm -hmm. but it's also got 
the monadic bind operation, which is like oh. your pipe as well. Yeah. And also, there is, I think there is another one you mentioned. Uh, so, yes, that's less than dollars greater than. Yes. Um, and it's the same as, it's it's just uh, an, a nice syntax for doing fmap, which is the same as map, just a generic form of map. Um, here I have used it for IO, so it's like IO map. Um, Careful, you name things without explaining I, uh, yeah i think if people if, if like if i say io map it's it's the it's the function that will take a pure function and make it operate on values w which are in the io monad um that's not helpful um, <laughs> <laughs> but we've got the, the we we obtained a value in the context of the real world and now we can transform it in the context of a real of the real world because we've got a pure function and we want to transform that and we start out in the real world and we can't leave the real world but it's just that prompt for font and prompt with it, it it's just a code that is asking for the person's name and after it gets the names so first it gets the names that you're asking for and then it gives them to the function that takes two names and a text encoding and produces the boxed message of love and that's pure right it doesn't it doesn't it, it's never going to ask the user for anything because it's already got the information that it needs if you give it the encoding either unicode or ascii and you give it the first name and the second name it has all the information it needs now to be able to produce that so it's a pure function um and so this is sort of like it's almost we're proving to the person who is reading the code that boxed message of love doesn't need to um it doesn't need to you know receive any more information from the user or anything um so it's not allowed it's not allowed to access anything in, in io and that but we still need to use it in the context of io so just like if we want to have a function that works on a single value and make it work on a list of values we can map it here we've got a function that works on a pure value and we want to use it in the context of of dirty values so we have to map it over io values and we also do it a little bit like elm which is like using case statement uh so yes we, we're using instead of having multiple top level definitions um uh with pan and matching to decide which one what which one to use we've got a case statement with a single top level definition which it's probably easier to read honestly it's just it involves more indentation. What's wrong with indentation? Nothing is really wrong with indentation. <laughs> if it makes it clearer, it's good. Oh, actually, I read something on Quora, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, someone asked about, like, why should I learn about functional programming? And then I recognize a name. <laughs> she is... A lecturer and school of electrical engineering and computer science in ITB. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> who answered the question or who was referred to in the question? The one who answered. The one who answered. Okay, cool. Yes. So I ITB is the university. That oh, yes. ITB is my university, but I, I wasn't from the school of computer science. 
but I was in school of business and management. Anyway, she answered that it's the nice thing about teaching functional way first to the students, at least at ITP apparently, they teach functional programming. <laughs> well, of course, isn't it? Isn't it basic? Uh, curriculum of computer science. You usually expect to get a functional course, but it's not necessarily mandatory at all universities. Yeah, it probably should be by now, but I okay. mean, it should always have been. But. Yeah, I, and I think uh, she stressed it on teach the students functional programming first, like at the first thing, because how functions in functional programming is like pure functions. Because then you develop this habit of just trying to give a spec. That's what she said. Give a spec and test that spec. Yeah. Okay. With the functions. Yeah. So you sort of have this pure mindset. That's what she said. Yeah. And I think when I s- when 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 we build this program and how we always test each function what's the input and what's the uh, expected output it's like oh is this what she said mm, exactly yeah because then you end up sort of the the actual algorithm the core of the code becomes quite separated from the details of the implementation so now you can sort of just put in your, det- your data whenever you like because you don't have to worry about interacting with the code it yeah. forces you to separate well it doesn't force you to separate you can write you know bad code in haskell um, but it gives you the tools to to keep yourself honest when you're separating it yes so i think that's an uh i don't know nice discovery of me <laughs> sort of i just read about something and then we finally uh, do it in uh, action like no we finally see it in action yeah because I don't think you you never sort of pull up the repo when you're coding and out no yeah. that's why I think uh, my coworker, well he usually opened the IX IEX interactive elixir oh okay which is like repo yep, for, for, for elixir stuff. And he always used that to, you know, write the function and like tra- test the functions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, oh, I want to do that, but I never done that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because that, that, that's that's one of the things where it sort of gives you a way also, like the REPL gives you a way of developing your code from like the bottom up and keep... Cause I think one thing that you've sometimes like said about the difference between Elm compared to JavaScript is that it can be frustrating when you have to make a change and you don't know whether it works because you've got to get everything to work first. Um, because in the, Elm, yeah, in Elm, yes, yes. Um, and so perhaps this can uh, give you a way of being able to interact with a module in isolation. I mean, you can't; it won't give you a way to to run it in the web browser, but it might give you a way to talk to this particular function and make sure that the function is doing what you expect um, without having to get everything right first. Nice. Maybe I have to practice this more. 
So do you have any other thoughts about programming in Haskell? I mean, there are two things about the Haskell documentations. There is a good thing about it, and there is a little bit that I don't really like. Uh, when I when I when I try to search for functions or like just navigating in the documentation of Haskell, I've I found it hard to look things up or like to understand. I guess yeah, the Haskell documentation it's sort of like very much reference documentation. I think you kind of already you're supposed to almost have an idea about what it already does before you try and work out what it does. Hmm. So you sort of already know what you want to do? Yeah, and then you can find it. You can just confirm that what you think does something actually does what you think it already does. But when I saw you uh, trying to find... What is it? I don't remember you... Oh, that was that was string, yes. Oh, when I was trying to find the um, function to convert the case, to convert everything to lowercase... Um, oh yes. Yes, I think I started out looking for it in data dot string, and then I looked for it in data dot list, and finally I found in data dot char. It just it doesn't operate on the string; it operates on the individual character. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's it's. I, I I think I probably could have done that much faster if I looked it up in the in in the index. So it's it, like I I knew that the function was probably called. Uh, to, to lowercase or to lower um, and we were making it harder on ourselves by not importing the prelude yeah uh, so some some of the some of that was possibly a little bit harder than it needed to be because of the way we decided to go about it okay so it's not usually like that it's usually yeah I think it's usually it's not so bad um, and and usually I think you know if you're gonna do operations on a string you, you probably use a different type as well that would have better documentation because uh, data.txt is it's faster and I think the documentation is is probably and and the way it's structured because it's a data type for storing text rather than rather than using a list to represent a string and so all the operations that you actually want are in more or less one or two places rather than being scattered around between potentially three different modules. Um, so, you know, if you use the right tool for the job, I think it gets a bit better. I think I also remember uh, there are like more than one generic data types. Well, not generic data types. What do you usually call it? Like just normal data types you use like integer or string. Like you say, it's there's string and text or something like that well yeah i mean some of some of that like the 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 choice of of a of a string as a list of characters it's it's kind of in a sense i guess it's elegant but it's not very efficient um and haskell has a lot of legacy about it i guess it's it Mm -hmm. goes back you know people were a little bit exploring when they first sort of developed haskell and they weren't they didn't know where it was going to end up um so some of the decisions that they made i think if you are making you know a, a programming language you know a purely a purely functional lazy 
programming language that was inspired by Haskell without actually being Haskell, I think you would make some different decisions today. Mm. Um, but, I mean, Haskell is so dominant in that area that nobody actually tries to do that. People, whenever they try to create, you know, a language inspired by Haskell, it's always, it's not lazy, it's strict, for instance, because, um, you know, laziness definitely has its advantages, um, but it's so outside of people's experience that they end up writing a different programming language. When you said laziness, what is that like? So what a what concrete a, example. <laughs> um, so laziness and strictness is about um, the order of evaluation. So normally a programming language will evaluate a function more or less when it's written. It will, you know, it, 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 would you. Oh. Whereas with a lazy one, it sort of it doesn't evaluate it like it just takes a note of the fact that if I need this value. Mm -hmm this is how I can evaluate it, but it doesn't evaluate it. Um, so if you if you have, you know, um, the uh, a function f and its argument is x plus 1, in most programming languages you'd evaluate x plus 1 straight away and then you'd give the result of that to mm -hmm. f. But in, in Haskell you start evaluating f and if you ever, never need x plus 1, you're never going to evaluate x plus 1. Okay, yes. That makes sense. It's lazy. It's sort of a <laughs> bit more like the way humans actually do stuff. If you if you ask a person to evaluate a mathematical expression, they're probably going to do it a little bit more like Haskell would than a lot than than like another computer programming language would. But the people who are using Haskell are usually programmers who have a much better understanding of the way other programmers other programming languages do things, and they expect that the program the computer is going to, you know, be eager. Oh wait, so Haskell is more like human than a computer? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I just mean that people are lazy. That's all I mean. People, <laughs> people won't evaluate what they don't need to evaluate, sort of thing. If you've, if you give them a function and it ignores its arguments, sometimes they're not, you know, when they're trying to work it out in their heads or on, on a paper and pen, they're not going to expend all this effort trying to evaluate something until they know they need it. Because it's relatively easy for us just to copy down x plus 1 instead of working out that x plus 1 is actually 7 or something like that. But I think that's also helpful uh, in what sense like the other programming languages. Like programmers try to imitate computers the way computers work. And then they make a mistake because we're just not a computer, I guess. <laughs> but then if we use programming language like Haskell, Haskell perhaps, which imitates the way we think more, that reduces the mistake we're gonna make in some sense. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, I guess it, I guess it's the question where somebody would have to do an actual objective study. I, I, I think people would say uh, large open source code repositories like somebody somebody goes off and, and studies github oh yes and they try and find out whether there's more bugs in this programming language than in that programming language mm -hmm. as far as i know major studies of that don't actually show a huge effect of programming language oh, too um, bad. but people always think that there's problems with those studies it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to work out an objective way of doing that because obviously the more people who who 
user program, the more bugs are going to be found. But that doesn't mean that there was more bugs in the first place. Yes. Uh, and that kind of issue. So you tend to that there tends to be too many interfere interfering interferences, I guess. Yes. Um, to to make it very easy, and you can't obviously go off and and ask what private companies do because most private companies aren't going to expose that <laughs> information very much. It's kind of tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, researching the programmers' productivity. Exactly. It would be nice to to be able to get some concrete answers. People have their hypotheses, but are their, are their hypotheses true? And the other question is, of course, you know, even if maybe maybe there are less bugs being produced in 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 um, publicly available Java code than there are in publicly available Haskell code, um, but is that caused because Java is easier for people to program in, or is it because people learn? You know Javaisms, and then they try and adapt them when they learn Haskell, and so mm. they they have some sort of just like, I mean, I make mistakes when I'm speaking Indonesian or German because <laughs> I started off with English, but that doesn't mean that Germans and Indonesians make the same kind of mistakes when they're speaking German and Indonesian. So it depends whether you are already learned, like what's your first programming language basically well that's my my speculation whether it's true i don't know uh, yeah this is lots of speculations but yeah i think it's just opinions i, I guess, guess it is yeah yeah anyway oh the good thing <laughs> <laughs> about haskell documentation is you can just search the types you want and then they will show the results of uh list of packages or like yeah functions in packages yeah yeah and that's how actually that's how tristan found flow yeah so i just used i wanted to um find the uh reverse function composition um the opposite direction of of dot basically because that's available in in um in, in elm um, but it's not something that I've ever actually used in Haskell, even though from time to time it actually might be nice to to give a better idea of the indication of the flow of the of the data of the information through your through your computation. And and so I used Hoogle. I just typed in I just typed in the type of the function that I would want to use because it's pretty easy to know what that type would be if you're experienced with Haskell. I think. So you just type it into into Hoogle, and then Hoogle gives you the answer. Oh, you know, you can use this function from the GHC package, or you can use this function from Flow. Or there's a, a few different options um, available, and Flow was the one that looked like it was actually a package intended to provide <coughs> this, this function, rather than I mean, obviously the GHC library is 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 not really the place that I'd want to be importing to write an ASCII art thing because that's that's designed for actually analyzing Haskell code sort of thing. Really? Yeah, well, in GHC it's obviously the compiler. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you might want to import it to be able to to be able to parse the the code the same way GHC does. That sounds scary. <laughs> I don't think it's something most people would do very often. <laughs> if you were writing a compiler tool, I think you would probably want yeah. to import GHC. Okay. Anyway, we actually have recorded the process of me coding or like pair program with Tristan, but then it took us 
like super long. And it's probably not going to make good podcast material because it's yes. too much talking about the screen. So we kind of got about halfway through. We, we finished parsing the font um, and then we just decided. Okay, because I'd already written. Oh, how about like we talk just yeah, in okay. general? Okay, about the code. I don't know if it's Haskell or any literally every programming languages there is always a main function yeah it's not always so different programs have different ways of deciding how the entry point is going to be but usually you've got two options mm-hmm. um, and so the more um, the, the programming languages that are more based on 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 this is going to be compiled code sort of approach will have a function called uh, main as the entry point okay whereas the ones that are based on it's a scripting language which also has functions which is more like perhaps um php i think i'm not sure about python honestly uh they that they, they just have you know the code it'll redefine the function when it comes across the function but it'll just run you can have all the top level all, all your executable code at the top level mm-hmm. um so the, the this code is just the way that when you run the code, it has a function called main, and it just knows, oh yeah, that when I when I execute this program, I should run the main. And C has the same sort of approach, and there's public static void main in Java. <laughs> oh, I think I just generate that from my IDE instead of. <laughs> <laughs> if you're writing in Java, yes. Um, An IDE becomes necessary because it's just so much typing. Anyway, so we have here our main function. In general, we have two steps here. The first one is we're going to take the font spec file and then we read that file then we parse it and then we move to the next step which is transforming the <laughs> user input uh, prompting for the user input and then displaying it yeah yeah so prompting the user input and then display characters <laughs> yeah display the output yes so okay. if you want to get a copy of this little program to we're gonna link no we're gonna share the link Yes, it'll be in the show notes. And then it would be really nice if someone uh, make a screenshot of their creation <laughs> and then take us on Twitter or Instagram. Or Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just share your love with us. Yep. And it doesn't have to be a person. If you if you just love a programming language, you yes. can do it as well. Oh, I would love to see that. Like, I I really like when people share their joy of some programming language <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, I sound like a nerd now, but <laughs> or it can be I love my cat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even though we don't have a cat. Mm. <laughs> anyway, yes. So please share your creation with us and let's celebrate the love. Even though. We should celebrate love all the time. But it's good to have your attention drawn to the need once a year, maybe. Reminders are good. Yes, good saying. Anyway, that's all from us. We have talked enough, so we're not gonna do shout out. Our <laughs> <laughs> shout outs, I think, they're the Shut- same as last time, aren't they, anyway? Yeah, we're not we got growing new much. Li- <laughs> new, li- new listeners, but we didn't get new countries as far as I know.
Yes, I mean, I think I'm glad we're not growing that much, because <laughs> I honestly I'm still nervous about this whole. Uh, I want to give a shout out to somebody from、uh, San Marino. So if you know any San Marino people, make sure they、uh, listen to this podcast. Why? Why San Marino? Because、uh-huh. it's, it's a small country. It's probably like in the middle Tris- of Italy. Tristan just wants a new country. So,、yeah. <laughs> if you are coming from or know someone from a less known country, feel free to share this podcast to them. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we should probably say bye bye. Bye bye. Ciao ciao, cheesy. Cheese.